0: Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 18 through 25 this morning, and I know that this is the Christmas season, and for many of us this is common ground in church life. If you've been near and around church, Christmas and the story of Jesus is very common. And I I want you this month to begin to hopefully receive fresh from the Lord the reality that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That it's easy for us in the Christmas shopping and meeting with family and getting presents and we can get lost in, in all of the things that we do for Christmas and forget why we're celebrating, why we're, we're sitting around church and why we're doing this, that this is a time for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus and why He came. So. So kiddos, this, this month and teenagers and adults, everyone, let's, let's encourage one another this month to remember why we celebrate Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so last week we started a new series at Grace called Emmanuel, God with us, and this this word, Emmanuel, is found in Matthew 1, but also we look back to the book of Isaiah and last week Scott started the series by helping us get context to Matthew chapter 1, what's happening. We see, we see Joseph and we see Mary present in Matthew chapter 1, and then we, we see how he is with us and how Jesus is the, the fulfillment of of the prophecy that we see in Isaiah of being God with us, that he is Emmanuel. And so this month, to give you a lay of the land, today we're gonna look at how he's with us in our sin. And then next week, we're gonna look at how he's with us to sanctify us or to grow us, to make us more and more like Jesus. And then on Christmas day, how he's with us in our suffering and sorrows. And then how he's with us as the sent ones, as the sent church. So we're going to talk about sin today and suffering on Christmas, so Merry Christmas. (laughs) But when we look at some of these things like sin and suffering, we see how beautiful Jesus really is. That's the beautiful thing about our Savior, that the more we stare into these doctrines, these truths that are found in Scripture that, that are hard to hear at times, it actually makes Jesus look even better because He doesn't run from it. He actually enters into it. And so, this morning, we must re- be reminded, in this month, we must be reminded that God is with us. We live in a dark and broken world. And what we will see today is that it does, that Jesus, again, it doesn't, He doesn't run from the brokenness, actually He runs into it, and this is the very reason He came to earth, is to enter into that brokenness. So if you'll stand in in honor of God's Word, be in Matthew, and we're going to start there in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word, you may be seated. You'll also want to find your place in Psalm 51 today. We're going to be there in a little bit. So you may want to find that. Be helpful. Before we get started diving into the text and looking at kind of sin and, and, and begin to understand the depths of that, um, I want to kind of help you understand my prayers for today and what I've been praying this week as I've been thinking about the topic of what we'll be discussing, God with us in our sin. First, I prayed this week for Believers. Those that are in this room that are in faith in Christ, I'm praying for you that you this morning will be reminded of the depths of which you have been saved, that you will remember once again the depths of your sin and how Jesus has saved you. We cannot appreciate the beauty of Emmanuel unless we explore the depths of our sin, That we cannot see him as beautiful and magnificent until we truly understand what he has saved us from. And so if you are a believer, I'm hoping that that will help you this morning. That it will help you worship him, it will help you draw near to him as you learn what he truly has saved you from and to encourage you. Now, if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, you're exploring faith and what that looks like, first, welcome. We are glad that you're here. Maybe you're a teenager and you've been coming to grace since you were born and you're wrestling through this. And I'm hoping that you will come to see Jesus. And and, and let me give you an analogy of how I've been praying for you. We have been introduced to the sport of wrestling in my house. My son started wrestling, and I don't know what I'm doing in wrestling because I did not do this sport in high school. I didn't, I didn't wrestle, and so it's all new to me. But one of the things you learn early in wrestling is to use your weight to your advantage. So there's at times where you will want to put all of your weight onto the opponent to bear down on them and make it uncomfortable, so the first night when the new wrestlers arrive on the mat and the coach is trying to tell them, I need you to put all their weight, the first time they do it, the kids are going, hmm. and he goes, no, 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 no. He will grab them by the back of the shirt and throws them down onto the opponent and smashes the other kid and goes, that's what I'm talking about. And the kids are like, "We well, you mean I can do that? I'm like, yes, welcome to wrestling. <laughs> you cannot do that to your sister, but you can do that while you're on the mat. This is why I give you that analogy. And this sounds harsh, but it's out of love. If you're not a believer, I'm praying that sin, your sin, will bear on you this morning. That it will bear heavy on you. So that you will, like a wrestler, finally say, I give up. I cannot bear under this weight that it would become uncomfortable this morning because I hope that as the sin is bearing on you, you will look up and see Jesus as Emmanuel with you. To say, I've come to rescue you. I've come to set you free. So that is my prayer for you if you're not a Christian. And that sounds harsh, like you want me to feel uncomfortable? Yeah, because I felt uncomfortable at 13. I felt uncomfortable with sin bearing down on me and then I saw the beauty of a savior. And so that's my prayer this morning, is that what happened? So here's where we're heading. First, I want us to clearly see the depths of our sin. Second, I want us to see the beauty of Jesus as the only, the only, highlight that, only rescuer of our sin and why he is the only rescuer of our sin. And then I want us to think about some responses in, rela- in response to those two truths, that our depths of sin and the beauty of Jesus is the only rescuer. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1. The verses that we're going to highlight out of that is verse 21 she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So there it is. So we're going to look, we're going to unpack that. He will save his people from their sins. We're going to unpack sin and we're going to unpack how he saves us. Now you look down and you continue to read in Matthew 1 and he is quoting Isaiah. Behold in verse 23, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, When I read that this week, it caught me off guard because there's two words that are very close together in verse 21 and verse 23 that seems very ironic that they would be close together. That is the word sin and the word Emmanuel. Now, do not let those two words just pass over you and go, great, that sounds fun. Stop and think about that for a moment. God with you and sins. If you put those two words on a page they don't seem like they should even be in the same vicinity they shouldn't be in the same region why because Emmanuel God with us knowing who he is and how perfect and holy he is and where sin is don't seem to go together but that is the Christmas story the Christmas story is all about Jesus entering into the sin and curing the world of that sin so Let's explore these two words together and see how they fit together and how it's a beautiful thing that God is with us in our sin. So in order to do that, what I want us to do is I want us to look at Psalm 51. So let's jump quickly over to Psalm 51 if you got a phone or a Bible. Now this is a Psalm written by David. This is written by David right after his sin with Bathsheba. So if you're new to church or need a refresher, let me give you a little bit of a context here. David saw Bathsheba. Bathsheba was not his wife. And he determined in his heart, I want Bathsheba. And so he orchestrated a series of events that he took Bathsheba and he was intimate with Bathsheba, not his wife, committed adultery, then found a way, how do I get her husband killed so that she now become my wife because she's pregnant. And so he finds a way to put the husband on the front lines in a war, and say, when he gets there, I want everyone to pull back and let him die. And they do it. And then he is confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin, and this is a psalm that he pens after that. So I want you to give you that context. So if anyone knows the depths of sin, it's David. He was in it. Now, let's look at verses 3 through 5 in Psalm 51. David says, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, I mean, look at some of these phrases that David mentions here. And my sin is ever before me. I mean, the sin for David was staring him in the face. Obviously, Nathan had to confront him, but this sin was looking him directly in the face and would not let him go. I mean, he was convicted. He knew he had done wrong. And even verse 4, I love verse 4, against you, you only, have I sinned. I mean, he clearly understands the ultimate authority that he has wronged. And you read that and you go, well, didn't you sin against Bathsheba and her husband? Well, yes, but he's looking on the spiritual side of things right now. And the ultimate person that he has sinned against is God. And he's recognizing that he has sinned against the God of the universe. So the way I want us to unpack the depths of sin is by looking at the three ways that he describes sin in this passage. So if you look at these verses, you'll see three words, transgression, iniquity, and sin. And all three of these words come with some some meaning behind them to help us understand the depths of sin. So let's first look at transgression. When you hear the word transgression, you need to think to cross boundaries or to cross a boundary that an authority has set. So if you are a parent and you tell your kid you're not allowed to watch this show right now, and then you come downstairs and they're, in fact, watching the show, they have transgressed, right? You drew the line, they saw the line, and they crossed over that line and said, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's a transgression. And that's, that's exactly what David is saying here. This points to the rebellion side of, of sin. God has set the boundaries. He has told us how to live. He's told us how to walk, and we deliberately cross those boundaries. And we do what we want to do because we are only concerned about self. We talk about this a lot at Grace. This is what we call self-lordship. I want what I want, how I want it, when I want it. And if you set a boundary, I'm going to cross it because I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's transgression. Judges 25 and or 20, chapter 21 reveals what transgression really looks like. In verse 25 of that chapter, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is transgression. I'm going to do what I want, and it doesn't matter if God in his love and his grace and his kindness sets that boundary, I'm going to cross over it again and again and again because I want what I want. That's transgression. The next word we see is iniquity. And that word iniquity comes with this idea of moral pure impurity. So it's sin is much deeper than just actions. This is really key. I want you to listen to this one. Sin is much deeper than actions. More than that, it's a condition. It's what we call a sinful nature. Now think about this. This is really important for us because if you're here today, and let's say you grew up around church You may be sitting in your chair and you haven't placed faith in Jesus and you say, well, I'm a a pretty good kid. I mean, I get good grades, my teachers like me, I I obey my parents pretty much, like I'm a good person. You need to understand that sin is not just what we do, it's who we are. That in the depths of your heart, you are a sinner. It is an an impurity that goes down deep. If you look at verse 5, In in Psalm 51, he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What David is saying there is that I was born stacked against me. I was born a sinner. I was born against God. I had this nature deep within who I was that I was not going to listen to the boundary. I was going to cross it because that's how I am bent. Romans chapter 5 talks about this. Sinful nature was passed down from our father, our spiritual father, a real Adam. That's who it was. Just like the color of hair that we get from our parents, you inherited a sinful nature. You came into this world a sinner. That is what iniquity is trying to help us understand. So, If you think about it, if you think in your mind, the person in mind, like if I had to think of the worst person in the world, who would it be? And you get them in your mind and go, man, I'm so glad I'm not like them. I'm so glad the same heart that resides in that person you're thinking about right now resides in you. It just acted out differently for that person maybe than versus you. But it's the same self-lordship heart that drives that person that drives you. That's the depths of sin. It goes deeper than just what we do. It's the very condition of who we are. Jeremiah 13, 23, I read the New Living Translation for that this, morning, or this week, and it was so helpful. It says, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leopard take away its spots? Neither can you start doing good, for you have always done evil. So what Jeremiah is saying is just like that leopard can't remove its spots, you are born sinful and you can't wash that away. You can try all you want. You can read all the self-help books you want. You can do everything you want to try to do, but you are going to be stained if you try to do anything on your own. It can, you cannot remove that stain. That, that iniquity is an impurity that runs deep in all of us. And the last word he uses is the actual word, sin. Now this means missing the mark. A lot of people talk about kind of envisioning an archer shooting a target and they're missing this to the left or the right. But I read... Uh, one author this week and he said, it's, I think it's more than just missing it a little bit to the left and the right. It's like we're missing 10 feet short of the target. And it's like after we're done shooting all the arrows, there's a pile of arrows 10 feet short of the target. We're not even close. That's what sin is. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is sin. So that's how how David is helping us understand the depths of your sin. So it's, it's crossing God's boundaries, it's an impurity that goes deeper, it's a condition, it's a nature, and then it's, it's missing the mark. It's, it's falling short of God's glory and what he's called us to do. Another way we can look at the depths of sin is actually looking at God. The reason why that's so helpful because when we stare into the face of our Heavenly Father and we stare at the face of God, we get an understanding of his character. When we see his character, we look at our sin, and it, it really, it's like, oh, that looks a lot dirtier, right? It's like when you wear a white t-shirt and you get a little bit of dirt, it shows up even more, right? Well, that's exactly what happens when we stare at the Father. When we begin to clearly define God, our sin stands out even more. And there are a couple of places, well, there's a lot of places we could go a couple of passages I thought was Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite chapters in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah gets a glimpse of the throne room. He's getting a glimpse of God, and he is seeing him, and he is seeing these heavenly beings around the throne crying out, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And he is seeing the, the, the whole earth full of the glory of God, and the foundation shook, and he is seeing him. And, and then the voice of him, being God, calls out to him, and, and the, the, it's the house, it says, was filled with smoke. So he is stepping into the presence of this holy, perfect God. And what does he say? Woe. Woe, great sorrow or distress. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. So see, when he sees God and his perfection, and his holiness, and all he is, Isaiah is left with, woe is me. I mean, in that moment, Isaiah probably would say, I feel that distance even more. Who could even draw near to this God? How in the world does this happen? Because now that I'm seeing him, I can only say one thing about me. I am lost, and I am unclean. The other way we see the depths of our sin is in the temple itself. The people of Israel would construct a temple and in the temple, they had a place that they would. the priests would go in one time a year that was separated by a thick curtain. It was the Holy of Holies. And in that place, they would go to make sacrifices once a year and, and the priests would enter and the priests would have to go through all of these ceremonies and rituals to make sure he was right before God because in the Holy of Holies stood the Ark of the Covenant, which is the very presence of God. And it was, a, you read it in Leviticus, and you read it in other places in the Old Testament, it was tense to think about stepping into the Holy of Holies. And this, this, sh- this shows for us the depths of sin and the, per- the perfection of God and His holiness. And how can, now going back to Matthew 1, how can Emmanuel, God with us, be right next to sin? I mean, right now, if I stop here, you're thinking, not possible. You should think that. You should feel that. Because that's true. Because when you look at the depths of sin, this is what happens. So this is what the depths of sin looks like. It affects every aspect of a person. Mind, will, emotions, it affects everything about them. Now, as I said earlier, this, is, this does not mean that, a hum- that humans are as bad as they could be. Let me clearly say that. It doesn't mean they're bad as they could be. Or that humans, apart from Jesus, can't do something beneficial for society. Many people do. I mean, we could look at charities. We could open up the laptop right now and search charities that aren't Christian, that do a lot of great things around the world and do a lot of great things. But the Bible is clear that even the good we do, separated from Christ, is still tainted by sin. That, that because it's not done in faith to him and for his glory, it is still sinful because we are not doing it for him. Isaiah, who we've been reading, he does this as well. He said, your righteous deeds are but filthy garments. See, even the good things we do are, are tainted. And so you come to this, and I was reading an author, and this is what he said that was helpful. If there is such a thing as sin living in the heart of everyone, then our only hope is divine intervention. There it is. The only way to solve this problem is not us. You can't go do enough good. You cannot go serve enough people to to make this right. You can't attend church every day of your life to make this right. Now, church is going to help you because it's hopefully going to give you the gospel, Church attendance is not going to save you from your sin. If you're a student, listen, when I was 13, I thought that if I just went through the rituals of getting baptized and somehow, you know, kind of faked it and got through it all and, you know, just did all this and said the right prayer and, you know, stood on the one foot and did everything I needed to do and, like, cool. Like, I'm good, right? I, I was no, I wasn't even near Jesus. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand the gospel. So, we need to understand that it is divine intervention is going to need to be taking place for us. So we see that in the divine intervention in Jesus. And so I want us to look now at the beauty of our Savior. So if you look, and the best way to understand this is to go back to the Old Testament and to look at the sacrificial system. So if we go back to the Old Testament, God gave the people of Israel a way to atone for their sins, and it was through animal sacrifice. So the, the people of the Old Testament would, would prepare an animal. It had to be a certain kind of animal. And they would, they would kill the animal. And the blood would be spilled. And when that spilled, and when that happened, it would atone for their sin. It would cover their sin. But what's even unbelievable about sin, and I know I'm on the beauty of the Savior, but i got to pause here. They even messed the sacrificial system up. They got that wrong. Why? Isaiah chapter 1 Look at what Isaiah says. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beast. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offering. Incense is an abomination to me. I mean, right there, even their sin was messing up the sacrificial system. Their sin was tainting even the things that were supposed to be doing to atone for their sin. God had to respond. From eternity past, he had a plan to send his son to die in their place. Because he knew from beginning that the only way to cure them from their sin was not going to be the sacrificial system. It was going to be incomplete. The only complete fulfillment was going to be Jesus. And Isaiah 53 points that out. Talking about Jesus, this king. So what happens is they begin to get a promise that a king was going to come. And this king was going to be from the line of David. And this king was going to be unlike any other king they've ever known. Because this was going to be a suffering king. That this king would come and pay the price for their sins. This king would come suffer and die. And we see that in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced, here we go, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now that's really important because it's saying the word our, because he was not dying for his, because the suffering king would be perfect. He's coming for our transgressions, our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace, And with his wounds, we are healed. And all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone. I love the Bible, how it doesn't leave anyone out, right? Everyone has turned their own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on him, the perfect suffering king, the iniquity of us all. How is Jesus Emmanuel? Right there. That is God with us in our sins. How? To save you from the very sin you can't save yourself from. So if you want to know this season, this Christmas season, why he is with us and how he is with us, the ultimate way he's with us is to rescue and redeem us from our sin. Because you can't do it on your own. Don't let that make you feel bad. Let you turn to Jesus and understand that that is how you are rescued. That is how you are redeemed. So I love it because if you step back and you see the Christmas story and you see all of it, I mean, it's this beautiful narrative of this baby born in Bethlehem. I was talking to a few people this week about the the Christmas story. So many people went to sleep that night not knowing what was happening around the corner. (laughs) They went up, they fell asleep, had a meal, woke up the next morning, and right around the corner, the king was being born. Jesus, the Savior, entered. So, what's so beautiful about this story is that here is this scene of broken humanity. Here is this picture before God of the universe of broken, sinful, not worthy humanity. And Jesus doesn't say, No, I'm sorry, I'm out of this one. God comes in Jesus enters the brokenness, and redeems us. Because see, he was unlike the animal sacrifices. How was he unlike them? Here's how he's unlike them. Because when they would kill the lamb or the goat, and they would spill the blood, the sacrifice remained on the altar. The sacrifice never got up off the altar. There's only been one that got up, and that was Jesus. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that resurrection tells us something. It is his victory lap. It's his victory lap of saying, I have finally dealt with sin and death. It is done, it is complete, and those who believe in me will be forgiven forever. They will be washed as white as snow. This is the Savior, the beautiful Savior that we have. So the depths of sin, we see it clearly throughout the Bible, we just spent three verses, but we could go throughout the Bible seeing the depths of our sin, and we see the beautiful Savior who came to be that Emmanuel to save and rescue us from our sin. So the question is now, how do we respond to this, these realities? How do we begin to think about living out and responding to the idea of the depths of our sin, and how do we, how do we come to Jesus? So first, I want to speak to people who are in Christ. First, I want you to worship this season. I want you to head home and I want you to find time at some point in December to open the Christmas story, to read it, find an Advent devotional, I don't know, however it helps you, but to get your mind focused, that your sins are wa- your sins are washed because He is Emmanuel and He came. It's done, it's finished, it's complete. Like I hope this allows you in this season Of we call Christmas, to worship the Savior who is Emmanuel, who came to rescue us from our sin. Second, I want Christians to rest. Okay, we're going to spend a lot of time on this next week, or Michael will, when we talk about sanctification. But I know some of you are sitting there going, man, I see the depths of sin, Justin, and I'm struggling with sin. This makes me feel really bad. I want you to stop, and I want you to rest. The same grace of God that rescued you and made you right with God, where you stand completely justified before the Father, is the same grace that will carry you all the way to the end. So when you're struggling with sin, this is I'm gonna go here. I know Michael's gonna spend a lot of time on this next week, but I would say, confess your sins, turn to Jesus, receive his grace, and allow him to help you to keep walking this. Don't run to shame, don't beat yourself up. That's not gonna be helpful. But turn to Jesus because his grace is there. He is Emmanuel today, just like he was back in Bethlehem. And he's with you now, even in your fight with sin. Now I want to speak to non-Christians. So I go back to my wrestling analogy. I don't know what you're thinking right now. And you may be thinking, this is crazy. You may be thinking, okay, you've got my attention. I want you to head home and I want you to think for a moment. Everything that I mentioned about the depths of sin is true for you, it's true for you. I'm not hiding from that, I'm I'm not apologizing. And the reason why is because the Bible doesn't. It just says you are a sinner. And and I want you to feel the weight, not out of of meanness or anger, I I say it out of love. I want you to feel the weight of that sin so that you would turn to this beautiful Savior that's saying, I'm ready to redeem you. I'm ready to rescue you. Knock on the door, it will be open to you. Go, go seek, you will find. So I'm, I'm just going to let that rest with you. Isaiah 1. And if you turn to him, look what Isaiah 1 says. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There's a promise for those who turn to Jesus, and that promise is that you will be clean. And, and it's a clean that can go, that goes in, it's the cleanness of the soul. It's something that, that no human can touch, but Jesus can do that. The last thing I wanna encourage is I wanna encourage us as the church, okay? And this is something I was thinking about and came up with this week. Church, this is the capital problem of the world. I want you to rest on that just for a moment. Think about it. We have a lot of chatter in our world about what's the solution for a broken world. I am 100% convinced because the Bible is 100% convinced. The problem with humanity is sin. The problem with humanity is a sinful nature that is rebelling against God. And I don't say that of like, you better get right. I'm not doing that because we all were once there. But the reason I say that is because that is our purpose for heading out into the world. We head out into the world because as I'm 100% convinced the problem with humanity is sin, I'm 100% convinced the solution to that problem is a savior. Absolutely, because the Bible is 100% convinced that is the, the solution to the problem. There's a lot of times I talk about things in our world, I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure. i got to think about that. I am not at all that way with this. A hundred percent convinced, and I will be to the day that I die, this is the problem and this is the solution to the world. So let's make this our ambition to preach the gospel at all times, to live it out and speak it often. I know many of you are going to head into families and friends' homes over the holidays, And you may be entering into a place like, I know they're not Christians. And they're going to say something that's going to ruffle your feathers. And it may be something about sexuality, politics, whatever. They're going to throw it out there. And you're going to go like, oh, I'm so angry right now. I want you to just rest. And I want you to sit back and know the problem in that room at that moment. Yeah, we can talk about all this other stuff. The problem is sin. And the, the answer is a savior. And so I would encourage you to head into the holidays to be Christ to people that you're going to interact with and give them the gospel and speak it. So I'm going to close with one of my favorite songs. I'm not going to sing it. But we sang it this morning, which is joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Church, He came to let his blessings flow and that is through Emmanuel, Jesus who came to earth. Let's pray.